Hello and welcome to episode 55 of the Tapping Up podcast with myself, Daryl, and as always, Ian. Uh, have you noticed today, Ian, by the way, look at how curl my hair's getting. Look at look at this, rocking curtains, looking like uh, classic DiCaprio, aren't I? It's one way to put it. Looking like a curly-haired cunt would probably be another way, but um, I hadn't noticed how it just looks as curly Gosh, as ever. But... Everyone were giving me compliments there. Walking down office and everyone were like, fucking hell, didn't know we'd employed DiCaprio. Looks exactly like he did in Romeo and Juliet and in Titanic. And I'm like, ladies, just, just calm it down a minute. Come on, I'm engaged. Sounds like the biggest bullshit I've ever heard, but yeah, all right. <laughs> Good way to good, good way to start the podcast with a complete and utter lie. But um, yeah, what isn't right. a lie is we've had to be escorted to the toilets all through this week, haven't we? Because we've had uh, renovations on the male toilets, and doesn't look like there's any closure in sight of that. So we've literally had to be acting like school kids, finding random women at office to take us to the toilet and stand outside like bouncers. And so yeah, can you check the toilets for us while we take a piss, um, and then. Um, yeah, have women wait outside, probably listening in while we just fucking drain the snake. So, uh, yeah, can't be too uh, impressive for them. But the joys of work, eh? It was the funniest moment where you were turning around and being like, uh, I-, I need to go to the toilet, but not for a piss. But I don't, don't want to go and get someone to escort me and sit outside. So you had to go to a different building. <laughs> I'm not fucking going and fucking taking a shit while they wait outside. I'm not doing that, <laughs> Jesus Christ. And make sure I shit at home, but fucking whatever I ate fucking crept up on me. So I was like, yeah, I'm not taking a shit there. I'll go to the next office. <laughs> the joys of having 17 cup of soups a day. Um, get straight into UFC 293 then, because um, I was listening back to our last week's episode a little bit reluctantly. And to be fair, we're not the only people who've got this absolutely horrendously wrong because it's one of the biggest upsets of all time. But we absolutely slammed Sean Strickland's chances of picking up anything. I think you said Adesanya in the first or second. I said Adesanya in the third. Uh, we were both wrong. Mate, it's the, the, the joy of MMA and why it's one of the best sports in the world is that unpredictability. Um, you know, uh, I think, I doubt there's a single MMA journalist out there, certainly not uh, far more knowledgeable than us that would have given Strickland a chance. I think he was like uh eight or nine to one uh underdog so the the odds weren't in his favor but um came out and put on an absolute clinic and certainly the best performance of his career ever um and surprised the shit out of all of us becoming the new middleweight champion of the world yeah i'm gonna say and before we get into sort of the in-depth nature of your overview which i'm sure you've got planned out for us and fingers crossed you have uh but to summarize it adesanya lost his ufc middleweight championship for the second time uh he's dropped it twice now within the space of a year of course obviously there was uh, alex Pereira in november 2022 a loss which he avenged somewhat uh shockingly uh earlier this year when he, when he knocked him out but it was just essentially a performance that lacked any sort of urgency from izzy uh, particularly in the latter rounds when you would have thought Strickland's approach of walking forward like a zombie would have been absolutely in Adesanya's favour. But it, it just looked completely clueless. There was something clearly off with him, whether that's a, a niggling injury, whether that's something else personal, and I'm sure we'll go into it in just a sec, but no one thought Strickland was going to win this. Um, and the, the, I think the most notable point would be he didn't even try to grapple him 
once from what I remember at all and just did what we would predict would get him knocked out. Straight boxing, I mean, I, I saw quite interestingly like in my little notes what we'll come on to going through round by round as we normally do for the bigger fights. It was immediately obvious to me uh, in the first round that Izzy was off. He just didn't look his normal self. Very reluctant. Um, wasn't using his usual counter-striking. Um, he's quite a cerebral fighter. He's, he's known as a bit of a slow starter. First round in particular, he'll not do a great deal. Throw some feints, you know, work out what the other person is going to do. So... Uh, you know, throw a few feints, see how they react, and then in the later rounds start to to process that and and then use that against them. Um, he looked, as you say, just off from from the outset, and I thought it was quite interesting that I read today that or yesterday, I think it was Duplessis. Um, obviously, there's the beef there between them. Came out and echoed my thoughts by saying. Uh, it's the worst performance he'd ever seen from Izzy, and you could tell straight away uh, from the very first moment he just looked off. Um, something was definitely. I mean, everyone has bad days. I think that's the thing with MMA. People have got to forget. No one brings a ray game every time. It's it's impossible uh, to do that. There was. I can't help but wonder. There was obviously in the build up this fact that Izzy had got uh, some guy tattooed on his neck who was a friend of his who had died. I'm not quite sure the method and how recently this guy had died. Strickland was sort of taking the piss out of him before it came out that actually that's because one of his mates has died. I don't know if that was recent, you know, and he's in mourning still, you know, something like that. But it it it, it wasn't the Izzy that we're used to seeing um, and definitely for me drops him down in that when people go on about one of the greatest ever Um the greatest ever don't put on performances like that. John Jones has never put in a performance that slack, even when he's had off days like he did with uh, Gustafsson one when he didn't even train uh, and he still managed to find a way to win. So I think ultimately it drops Izzy down um, from, from definitely what people will often go on about as being one of the greatest of all time. Uh, um, I think that's slightly one fight doesn't, you know, ruin or build a career but certainly I think that showed up that he can't be talked about in um the upper echelons of your John Joneses your Khabib's your GSP's um etc etc but um I mean if we look at the rounds um first thing noticeable was constant pressure from Strickland which we'd already predicted he just walks forward uh and one thing I think people don't appreciate is how tiring and frustrating that is being on your heels all the time if you've ever been on uh one way i'd describe it which would be an easy way to, to try and show people would be go on a, go on a, a treadmill walk forwards for five minutes and then walk backwards for five minutes and see how much harder it is to walk backwards so um that that certainly played a part that i think people didn't quite appreciate that um that has a huge impact in terms of fatigue um wasn't really a great round until the last sort of what 45 seconds huge right hand from from Strickland and he starts absolutely pouring it on done he's got Izzy against the cage he's dropping bombs on him um impressive durability to be fair from Izzy to say uh to say it but uh to stay in it but was definitely saved by the bell personally I don't think that was enough for a 10-8 round I gave it a 10-9 Strickland 
yeah, it was definitely a 10 9, and there's no dispute who it went to. I was shocked that he stayed up, to be honest. I thought he were absolutely gone. The amount of pressure that was being put against him, obviously, it took him down and then against the cage. And I just thought, referee stepping in here. So I think he did very well to survive. Another 10 or 20 seconds, I think it would have, to be honest with you. I think if he'd carried on like that, as I said, I definitely think he got uh, the, you know, saved by the bow in that case. Um, second round was again pretty quiet to be I mean let's be honest it wasn't a great fight to watch it wasn't a super it was a superb performance from Strickland but it wasn't exactly um a, a super exciting fight to watch um Izzy started to try try and throw a few more kicks in in round 2 but almost every single one was checked by Strickland which actually ends up hurting the person kicking more than the person checking but um it was an absolute masterclass if in, in, in distance management by Strickland. He was outside enough that it was hard for Izzy to hit him, but close enough that when he wanted to turn it on and, and land, he was you know, the 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 straight left jab that he was doing was just money in the bank and dinging dinging Izzy up all day. Another easy 10-9 round for Strickland for me. Yeah, and I think at this point of watching it. And I, I can't profess to watch. I've been watching it live. I watched the um, replay on um, line, should I say? Um, and I hadn't seen the result when I was watching it back. And I thought I'll try and keep it a surprise. I got a text. I think it was around the fourth round from one of my mates, basically spoiling it for me. But it was the second, at the end of the second round, when I was thinking, this is a little bit worrying for Izzy, and it's only looking like it's going to go one way. And I'll be honest, at that point, I thought that, you know, when you think a fight is almost done in terms of he doesn't look like he's going to come back into it. It looks disinterested. He's been battered all the way through. I get that only 10 minutes had gone, but it didn't look like a short 10 minutes or a 10 minutes that had no impact on Izzy whatsoever. And like I say, I thought at that point he's lost this fight and there's no way he's coming back from it. I slightly disagree. You can never count Izzy out because of the striker that he is. I mean, he doesn't have the the straight up power of someone like Pereira, but the accuracy of his strikes is usually pretty phenomenal. Um, so I think by that point, I'm thinking he's, he's certainly up against it, but I wasn't ruling him out and he was still favourite I was uh, odds wise uh, by the end of the second round. So even the odds, uh, the, the bookmakers thought that, it, that there might be a chance of him turning it around. Round three, you start to see how exhausted is he looked, which again, I don't know if it was from the fight and just the the straight, what we're talking about, the constant pressure, that they're getting dinged up. He's breathing really heavily. Strickland not even taking deep breaths whatsoever. Looked completely ready for the five-round fight. A um, couple of big jabs again from, from Strickland. This was the only round for me that was, is he had a chance of... Uh, of winning and the judges all actually gave Izzy the third round which I thought was interesting because I had it 5-0 spoiler coming up but um, the third round all three judges actually gave it to Izzy but that was by far and away the closest round and it was probably more a case of Strickland did less in that round than Izzy did more. Yeah absolutely I I give it to Izzy I thought that it absolutely was um, at 2-1 at that point, which is obviously ironic, given what I was just saying about the end of the second. But he didn't really do much to get that round. It were, as you say, entirely Strickland had sort of dialed back a little bit. I think he got a little bit overconfident and thought, I'm 
absolutely boss in this fight. I don't need to do as much. And then obviously, when the fourth round comes around, that's significantly changed. But I mean, he's known for being reckless, uh, Strickland, and that's sometimes when he's he's lost fights. He's, he's been doing well, and he's got a bit reckless. So it felt like he'd he was taking some good advice from his corner. Look, you've got this. You're on top. You don't need to do anything stupid. Don't rush in. Keep your distant management. Just keep doing exactly what you're doing. Like you say, the fourth round comes out, and in my in my eyes, he's is he's three 0 down, and I expected his corner to be saying to him, "Look, you, you need to be going for the KO here." You, 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 even if it's 2-1, you're going to be struggling. And still, there was a, a lack of urgency. Didn't really do much. Um, Strickland was considerably pushing the action again, landing the cleaner strikes, had him on his heels the whole time. 10-9 Strickland. So fifth round, by that point, even best case scenario, you're looking at 3-1 down, if not 4-0, which I had it as... Um, not a mark on Strickland's face, whereas he's dinged up, particularly his eye. And again, that urgency, like you've got to go for broke at that point. You know, you're supposedly one of the greatest fighters ever. Um, uh, An analogy I'd give there would have been um, Anderson Silva, Chel Sonnen, just got absolutely smashed uh, for for four rounds, pretty much uh, in, in their title fight way back. But, that shows you the difference in terms of calibre of fighter. For me, certainly, Anderson found a way to win in that fifth round and managed to get the choke on when complete adversity looked, found the, the slightest option and managed to choke out. Um, You've gone blank. Son managed to find a way to win. Is he just didn't, he just didn't look anything and I'm looking at this that barring something completely reckless from from Strickland and as long as he doesn't just do something completely stupid he's going to be the 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 new middleweight champion of the world um I thought the last minute or so it's quite funny you've got Strickland literally shouting at him then if you caught this depending on the angle or the he's he's literally saying come on you pussy like you know by this point he knows and he's kind of baiting him didn't didn't rise to it at all 10-9 Judges gave it all 49-46. Um, I had it 50-45, personally. Um, absolutely superb performance um, from from Strickland. No one gave him a chance um, and shot the world. Yeah, and Dana White's come out, hasn't he, and said that an immediate rematch is fairly likely after the one of the biggest upsets ever. Shall we say? Um, I, I don't well, think we'll come on that. to that. I've got a little section on upsets, so we can we, we we can discuss that. But I mean, you you, I, I'm kind of split on this one because Izzy's body of work uh, previously, you would say, deserves an immediate rematch. Um, he has lost two out of his last three, if you look at it that way, which actually doesn't look like the greatest uh, record. Um, one thing I would say in um, support of Izzy is if I saw a thing of how many times uh, recently he'd fought he's fought his uh, for the championship four times in the last 14 months. And before that, he's headlined um, something like five uh, events before that. So he's one of the most active fighters. Um, for me, um, interestingly, he didn't want to uh, give an interview, did he, after the, uh, the fight? And he actually sort of said, look, I'm not going to say anything. I'm going to leave you with Eugene Berryman, who is his coach. Uh, interesting from his coach. Then, if you heard that, his coach sort of said, "Look, 
Izzy just had an off night. Um, you know, they asked him about if he wanted the rematch. He actually said, rematches are really difficult camps. I've been in them before with, with Pereira. You've already feel like you've 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 un, you've turned over every stone in terms of looking for a way to win, but you have to try again. But interestingly, he kind of says that, which makes it sound like he doesn't really fancy it. But then he says, would you want the immediate rematch? And he says, I take it tomorrow if it was offered. Me or Izzy would fight tomorrow or next Saturday. I'd be confident it'd be a different result. So he's kind of got to say that for his own fighter, um, admittedly. Yeah, of course. He's not going to turn um, around and say that, yeah, we wouldn't want it because we'd get battered. But I thought it was quite interesting that one of the comments he made was that the team and Adesanya just couldn't get on the same page. So I don't know if he was was, was, tell them. Yeah, you're right. He was effectively saying that that the reading between the lines was he wasn't listening to us in the corner. Yeah. He said something, I think the word cohesion, something like that, the the corner, there was lack of cohesion in the corner. So whether Izzy again has got a bit too big for his boots and thinks he doesn't need to listen, knows what he's doing, whether he wasn't taking that advice on board, whether he didn't disagree with that advice. But yeah, I I, I picked up on that as well, that um, that point was made. But if there is to be an, I'll be honest, I, I I love Izzy, but I think the sensible thing personally for him would be to take a little bit of time off because he has been so active, go back to the drawing board, let somebody else come in against Strickland and have the uh, title fight, which would probably be Duplessis, um, or obviously the winner of Kamaev uh, Costa, which is uh, in a couple of weeks. Uh, take a little bit of time, go back to the drawing board, work on a bit of strategy, um, and then look to rematch. I, I I don't think it would be the best idea personally for him if he was to go for a relatively quick rematch straight away. I don't know. I'll be honest. I was thinking about this and the irony, of course, despite the absolute dominance that Strickland showed, if you gave me this fight at, UFC 298, for example, which I, I think the closer we get, the like more likely you're going to see it at, at two, uh, sorry, 300. But I'd still be backing Izzy to, to beat Strickland. And I don't know whether that's just a little bit of disrespect towards Strickland from myself or whether that's an underestimation of how good he is. But I just, it, something was wrong in this entire fight and something was wrong, as I say, from the first bell. Uh, whether that's a mindset issue, whether it's something to do with something in his personal life, whether there was a little bit of an injury, and without trying to find too many excuses for Adesanya, because it is still a fantastic win for Strickland, and he still does deserve to be the middleweight champion of the world. That's not the Adesanya that we've seen, you know, for the last few years. Um, obviously, Pereira had his number a little bit. He avenged that loss. I still think if he fights Pereira again, I'd be back in Pereira. But anyone else in the division... I'd back Adesanya against. So I don't know. There's something not quite right there. And I, I, I would still like to see Adesanya with the immediate rematch because I'll be honest, I don't think there's anyone else in the middleweight division that's got really any star power. I know there's Duplicis, you've got Robert Whitaker, Cannonier, but none of those well, Whitaker, are real. It's, fair. it's not going to be Whitaker because yeah. he's had his chances and he lost, uh, got smashed by Duplicis. Duplessis looks the biggest threat because he's an absolutely fucking huge middleweight. How on earth he cuts that amount of weight and gets to that level, I don't know, because he's a monstrous guy. Um, I've got to be honest, 
uh, the one for me is Kamaev because you know what he's going to do. We've seen it before in that fight where he just flies across the cage and takes you down. How someone like Strickland, who is effectively a boxer, straight boxer, how does he deal with him? Um, and it's funny, you mentioned one of the points I've got here is sometimes you just, no matter how great a fighter you are, you come up against someone who's just got your number. Uh, the classic example we've talked about before is uh, Holloway and Volk. Uh, you know, some close fights there, but I just think Volk had his number. And there's just something I can't quite put my finger on that makes me think, has Strickland just got his number? So I, I, I my view... Um, and I know I, you know, got this completely wrong, slagged off Strickland to high hell um, last week and said he didn't have a chance. Just something about that performance and he's only going to get better. You take that, that, that's a man that's done that, takes confidence of being the middleweight, beating someone who's allegedly one of the greatest of all time. His, he's only going to get better. Um, an interesting thing as well to do with Strickland is, You've seen a lot of different training methods, certainly over the duration of the time I've watched the UFC. It started off where the majority of training was just sparring. So guys would just spar. They'd obviously have mitt sessions, but then there's a lot of sparring. There was then a big kind of movement against sparring, saying that, you know, you're losing too many brain cells. And going against that, you've got people like Max Holloway, who actually admitted he didn't spar at all in his training camps. No sparring whatsoever. Um, Strickland spars more than anyone in the UFC. He literally is training, is all sparring. And they did a, you know, again, we, we talked to before about sort of tech and coming into to the UFC and how it's got that be- advantage over boxing and some other sports. Um, and they put some kind of device on Strickland and the fact that he, he spars more than anyone else in literally the whole UFC he gets hit the least. Now, there's an element there if you could say, who's he sparring? I mean, he worked very heavily with Pereira for this fight. So I wouldn't want to be fucking sparring with Pereira. But um, so you've got a question, maybe the, the quality of his opposition. But the one thing the man does have is, I mean, he's probably, this might be over-exaggerating a little bit and giving him too much credit. He's almost got a Floyd Mayweather-esque approach to boxing in terms of, his defense and his ability to avoid a shot is immaculate. And it was just, it was more seen it before in his fights and maybe not quite appreciated it. But in this fight, it was completely obvious how well he managed that distance and how little he got hit. His face was hardly touched up at all by one of the greatest strikers ever. So um, that, that I thought that was really quite interesting as well, that um, that's how, um, Strickland trains, but he gets hit the least. Have you just compared Strickland to Floyd Mayweather? In terms of his boxing defense, yes. No, uh, I don't know what says that. I feel like I'm just going to ignore it. Um, just going back to what we were talking about, Duplicis. Has he lost in the UFC yet? think he did in his first fight. I couldn't tell you. He's certainly on something like a five-fight win streak, but he might eight, have lost early eight win on. streak at the moment, I think. Because um, um, he, he... he came in, I, was, I think he was the KSW champion, uh, which is the Polish promotion we've talked about before. I think that's where they acquired him from. He certainly lost, whether he's lost in the UFC, I, I've 
some suspicion that he lost early on in his, his tenure uh, with the UFC, uh, but he's certainly on a roll. Um, very good everywhere, can grapple, can strike, real power puncher. Um, Zay, absolutely massive guy, probably the only other guy I would compare remotely to Pereira in terms of having to take a insane weight cut to get to 185, could easily fight at 205. He's a, he's a, a monster of a guy. But um, yeah, it'd be interesting to see. And I think ultimately it depends a lot on the outcome of Kamayev Costa as to what happens next. Just checked. Um, the last time Duplessis lost was... Uh... Soldich in KSW, it would have been in 2019, possibly. So he's never lost in the UFC. He's on a six-win streak in the UFC. Hasn't really thought of anyone of high calibre, to be fair, as he, I think he beat Darren Till, if I'm not mistaken, didn't he? Um, yeah, when Brad Till Tavares, obviously, from um, Ultimate Fighter fame. Uh, Tavares is a fucking... <laughs> punch bag, gets the shit beaten out of him every time. Obviously, you can't take away uh, the Whitaker fight, and he looked super impressive in putting Whitaker away very quickly. Um, but, um, yeah, I think there's a lot of options the UFC's got. That opens it up quite, quite the, the, the division quite significantly with Strickland. And the fact that he didn't take much damage um, probably does mean he can probably fight a turnaround. And he's another one of these guys that's in fighting shape all the time. So he doesn't need... Yeah, I mean, obviously, he was actually back up for this fight. Duplessis was actually originally supposed to be the opponent, but was injured in the previous fight and couldn't make it. So it makes it even more impressive. Strickland took this fight on four weeks' notice and did what he did. So um, I think we all have to eat a... Not even a slice of humble pie, about fucking five humble pies on this one and hold our hands up and say we got it wrong. But one of the reasons why I fucking love the UFC that, you know, no matter how heavily the odds are stacked in someone's favor and how much you think someone's going to do it, there's all, you know, everyone's always got a chance, which to say for me just makes it one of the greatest sports in the, in the world. Fair play to uh, Strickland, who has now become one of the most unlikable and controversial champions of all time in the UFC. The funny thing for me on that, just the final point I'll make on that, is I've been surprised at how quiet he's been this week, given some of the crazy shit that he was saying in the build-up to the fight. I was thinking to myself, this is going to be a fun week. He is going to be talking mad shit after becoming champion. But he seems to have been uh, very quiet, whether he's just taking it in, whether he's just enjoying himself with his family. But I fully expected some some fucking crazy comments and some mad shit talking to come out from him. But um, not not that I've seen. Perhaps it has happened, but I certainly haven't seen it. So uh, that was a surprise for me because I did think um, that he would, um, you know, there'd be some mad talk. We'll stick with biggest upsets of all time then in MMA. Um, there are quite some quite obvious ones, some quite notable ones, and one that is, I think you mentioned, uh, one that is quite similar to one that I've got on my list in uh, silver and what happened there and obviously ultimately slightly changed. Um, biggest wait, upset wait, of all time. Are you, talking, are you talking silver then? Wideman? Yes, yeah. Agreed. 162. 
a lot of people at the time knew Weidman was was one of those that like didn't get quite the props that he deserved. Anderson was on the slide, but it's definitely up there. For me, there's not even any question about this. And I think, again, if you looked at most MMA journalists, would probably agree with you, the biggest upset ever has to be GSP Sarah, when Matt Sarah, not not just only given he was a high-level black belt and grappler, knocked out GSP. Um, that has to be the biggest upset for me. Number two, in my eyes, would be when Pena beat Nunes in her prime. Um, uh, the thing I would say about both those fights, and I think has to be factored into this, is both of them then got the rematch and absolutely destroyed both of them. So that kind of then leads to the fact that it was an upset, but actually was the original fluke. So in some ways, for me, before you can actually call this a real upset, I think you've got to give Izzy the chance to rematch him at some point. And we've just talked about that. And if Izzy came out and fucking did spark him out in the first round, then you'd actually say, do you know what? It was maybe more of a fluke than a wonderful performance. So I feel like the jury's out. But for me, they're they're by far and away the number one and two biggest upsets ever. It's interesting that that you would say Nunes and Pena, especially when there's one women's fight that surely has to be above Nunes and Pena at 193, and that would have been Holly Holm sparking out Ronda Rousey. No, because that, that, that was the casual fan. R- Rousey was on this role of everybody sucking her ass, saying she'd beat men at fucking that weight. She had nine armbar finishes in a row. But she was fighting real poor quality opposition. She'd never fought anyone of the level of Holly Holm. On paper, it was an upset. But I think for for, for a proper fight fan, for someone like Holly Holm, who's a, a genuine seasoned full round MMA uh, artist, not just a, a, a judoka and a submission uh, artist like um, uh, um, Rousey was, I don't actually class that as a big an upset in anywhere near as round that the the realms of what we're talking. I, I actually genuinely wasn't that surprised at that one. Ronda Rousey went into that as a minus 1,400 betting favourite. Because was... we talked again before about bookies no shit, shit all about MMA, and everybody was fucking getting riding her dick, saying about it. So people, there was talks about that she'd beat men at her weight class, and it's like, what? what? No, that's just ridiculous. Just because she's armbarred nine clowns in a row doesn't you know you put her against a world-class kickboxer and she was in a world of pain and I actually remember watching that fight live because it was on the same card as I can't remember who Connor fought was it Connor Alvarez but it was on a that was the co-main event to a Connor fight it was either Connor Alvarez or Connor Diaz one of the two which one one was that um Rouser Rousey losing to uh, losing to home she was a headliner wasn't she um, I'm sure it was on a Connor fight because I remember staying up and watching both, and it was one of the rare times I remember making my missus waking my missus up and making her watch it in bed with me. Uh, I'm sure Connor was on that card. Connor was not on that card. Um, it was Holly Holm and Ronda Rousey were the main event, and the co-main was the strawweight championship between JJ and Letarnu. Okay, I must. My memory is obviously getting blurred in that case, but I'm in your sure old age, 
Yeah, exactly. Dementia's coming along. But um, I did definitely watch that fight live and she just got schooled. The moment that you could see she went for some takedowns and home just stopped her. She just didn't know what to do. And she she had a Kamaev. She was the female Kamaev in some ways that she'd just fly at you, take you down, take you down. And once you're down, you know, she was, you know, probably the, the best one trick pony in MMA ever. You know, she was an absolute master of the arm bar. They clearly spent hours doing thousands of setups at every intricate way you possibly could set up an arm bar. And I would definitely wouldn't take that away from her. She was absolutely superb. And as you say, in terms of someone having one trick up their sleeve and the best way to pull it off, she's the best ever at arm bars. She was incredible. But that wouldn't even make my top five list of uh, of upsets, if I'm honest with you. I've got two more for you then, just before we move on, uh, just so you can disagree with me, because, again, unlike you, uh, I had Bispin beating Rockhold at UFC 199 in their rematch, and I also had Usman Edwards. Uh, two, that is. Uh, yeah, um, yeah, I mean, in the discussion, uh, Rockhold, I mean, again, Rockhold had holes in his game. Rockhold and Bisping was one that had a lot of emotion in it. Uh, Bisping uh, was excellent uh, at taking the, the Connor mental warfare aspect and getting under someone's skin. And I remember him, you know, Rockhold being, you know, reckless in that fight because he was so fucking amped up because of the shit that Bisping was talking about him, probably in the conversation, to be honest with you. Um, and, um, I mean, I would personally say Edwards Usman one was more of an upset because no, that was when Usman was in his actual prime fully on the run. Um, you know, dominated all four rounds before the head kick, uh, again. So yeah, wouldn't disagree with you again in the conversation, but, um, just just to cut in there, Mr. Casual Fan, you're referring to the same fight as me. It was Usman Edwards 2 was the head kick. Sorry, yeah, because they fought ages ago. Yeah, so I thought you were talking to three we went to see. Sorry, no, no, no definitely two, because obviously yeah. we're getting battered, and that was the comparison I was going to make yeah. to um, this one. And I mean, that's the great, that's well. got to be the greatest save of all time, Bar Anderson that I mentioned earlier against Chell. Them two have to be the greatest. They were both probably four rounds down, easily going to lose on the judges' scorecards and then pulled it out of nowhere. So maybe slightly different criteria if we're talking about upsets, but in terms of the greatest saves of all time or turnarounds in a fight, them two, 100%, I would agree with you on that. Um, but yeah, G- 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 GSP, the, the run that GSP was on, the fact that Matt Serra had only even got the title fight because he won, I think it was the... Ultimate fighter four, he'd even been kicked from the UFC. Do you know what I mean? Come back. And then, as you say, grappling expert, amazing, amazing black belt uh, to this day, and just landed an absolute haymaker on um, uh, Saint Pierre and knocked him out cold. That forever for me is the, is by far and away the biggest. And um, may, maybe we'll throw a poll up on, on Twitter and see what people see if there's any uh, disagreement with us on that. But certainly in my eyes, that's the case. And I've read a lot about upsets this week and a lot of them still seem to be verging towards that as the greatest upset ever. Yeah, I agree with you on that. I think other few we will uh, agree to or disagree on. There's not really much to talk about in the rest of the card. Uh, I'll be honest, it was one of those where 
the main fight had all the talking points and got all the the plaudits and the props. And I think without that fight, there's been a forgotten event. There's not really anything that springs to mind that I think is worth noting. Well, I'll be honest, on this one, I didn't actually even really see any of the other fights apart from results. I was having issues over the weekend with me uh, UFC Fight Pass, so I couldn't actually watch the rest of the fights. Um, obviously saw the results, saw a Volkov one, which was impressive against the, the hometown fighter of uh, Ty. Um, I suppose the more thing that made the made the highlines more than the rest of the fights was uh, two fighters back-to-back dropping drop F-bombs uh, in their post-fight interviews, which um, I'm surprised hasn't had more blowback or media criticism this week because uh, I can't imagine ESPN were too happy with having that live on TV uh, when people uh, are dropping that in the uh, post-fight uh, interviews. But a, a point, I think, on that, not that I, I would ever condone any kind of slur being made like that, but you're interviewing guys that have just had loads of brain cells lost. They're in a fight. They're amped up. They're fucking angry. They're either looking to sell the fight for, you know, their opponents out baiting them in the crowd. Sometimes like, what do you expect? Some shit's going to get said. That's not going to be, uh, if you take it out of context, it's going to be looked at in a different light, but yeah, you, I'm, is I'm it surprised. taken out of context? Is it? <laughs> Well, if you just said some people dropped two F-bombs, you'd be a bit like, what? You can't say that in these days now. Like, you can't just walk around and call someone that. If you've had a fight, a three-round fight, your head, you know, fucking head been smashed in a little bit, you're amped up, you're trying to call someone out. I'm not condoning it, but I'm saying it's slightly different from just walking around and calling that someone in real life. You know, I just walked up to you and said it. It's a bit different than after a fight. I kind of feel like that's the danger with interviewing people post-fight is you're going to get some unsavoury things that are said. But I'm certainly not condoning it. I'm just saying I think that's the danger of post-fight interviews. Yes and no. I think absolutely. And Dana White pretty much echoed what you've just said there in the sense that, you know, you've just been in a position where your adrenaline's running as high as possible. I, I don't think there's any dispute in that. You've had your head kicked in and in, I can't remember it, um, Radke had like a massive uh, bruise all over his head and um, Cape, to be honest, wasn't that beaten up. But uh, Radke certainly, and he's obviously said it in the heat of the moment and has tried to say, something as as insulting as he can possibly think that springs to mind, which is why he's used a slur. On the flip side of that, the reason that it's so adhered, uh, or less adhered to, sorry, in the rest of the fight is that majority of other people have brain cells and wouldn't, even though they've been in these really strong fights, think it's acceptable to go and say X, Y, and Z. There was obviously a bit of a issue with someone using the N-word quite recently. Um, I can't remember it was. Um, it was Izzy. Shortly after the fight. Well, it was Izzy. Is it was Izzy, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, and that was sort of brushed under the carpet as well. I still think that that's unacceptable. I think any use of it is unacceptable. doesn't matter who's saying it and who you're saying it to. But I also understand exactly what you're saying. There is the only, only other final point of... I'd make on it. I think that, again, no, not condoning it, but trying to explain it rather than justify it is that there is a a cultural aspect in these elements as well that different places in the world 
words are more acceptable than others. Prime example, how many times do I drop the C-bomb? Most places would well, say the word... We need to we need to establish what the C-bomb is just so we don't... <laughs> cunt. Most people would say the word cunt is one of the worst and most unacceptable words that you can use. In England, particularly where I'm from down south, that is said like to everybody. Hello. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? All right, you cunt. So I think there is the, the other thing that you sometimes got to look at there is where is the fighter from and is that a more utilised and less offensive term in that culture? Doesn't make it right. Again, I'm not in any way justifying what was said, but I think you, out of con- what people love to do these days and how many times have we said it before, context is everything. You know, America, for example, the F-bomb is a horrendous word has terrible connotations even in england now that's completely unacceptable whereas you know um i say cunt all the time some places across the world would find that the most offensive word possible so i think again not justifying but trying to find a a rationale of why some of these things might be said in the heat at the moment you've got to consider that these fighters are from around the world where different i mean look, look here's all right here's an example not using the F-bomb, but the word fag. That is, in England, that's a cigarette. Somewhere else, that could be interpreted in a different way. How many times have I been in the pub with my mates or with my missus who smokes and someone come up and said, can I have a fag? That, do you know what I mean? So again, there's a, there, there's, there is a massive cultural aspect to this that goes under the radar that people want to pick these things out without any context and pick it, pick on it without actually, you know, there being the, the wraparound of the situation. I'm going to move on very, very swiftly. <laughs> did you know that uh, it's Grasso versus Shevchenko 2 this weekend? And did you know that it's got a special name? UFC Noche. I think it was what me it, that told you this. Uh, well... It, you you say that you told me it, but actually I've got far more knowledge than you. Um, I've been calling fights far more accurately other than last weekend's than yourself. Uh, do you know why it's called Noche UFC? Uh, I don't. I know that it is, I think it's Spanish, isn't it, for night? It or is evening. celebrating evening. Mexican Independence Day. So UFC will celebrate Mexican Independence Day for the first time ever. Uh, it has become a great tradition in combat sports to hold big fights on September the 16th. And this year... Grasso are... is Mexican. I exactly. imagine that was why. So the and, champion is Mexican. Yeah, and this year they are specifically honouring all UFC fans and fighters from Mexican communities with an inaugural Noche UFC. So it might be that they do this every year. Interesting. Didn't know that bit. Um, so not again a greater card if i'm honest with you two two main only two fights i've really picked out of this one so you've obviously got grasso the champ uh 16 and 3 versus uh shevchenko one of my personal now that nunez has finished favorite female fighter to watch number one ranked record of 23 and 4 both t- obviously champ and number one so it's one of those fights that is the you know what you would want to see in a fight as the top two contenders in 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 their weight fighting. Grasso shot the world before because Shevchenko was pretty much uh, the pound for pound number two up behind Nunes, uh, female fighter in the world before this, uh, and probably having some kind of claim towards goat status in amongst there with 
um, Nunes and, and Grasso shot the world. Um, I get the feeling Shevchenko personally takes a, a title back with this one. With an impressive performance and reclaims her title is my call on this one. Disagree, surprisingly. Um, I thought Grasso, obviously, massive upset in the last fight when she submitted her. Uh, it was March, I think it was. So time is absolutely flying this year. Um, funny enough, she's still the underdog. She is a plus 140 underdog for the fight. Loads of people have said Grasso got the submission. It was a fluke and that had it have continued, Shevchenko would have turned it around. But I was looking at the scorecards and they were actually tied on the scorecards going into the final round. So it were anyone's fight. Uh, Grasso had a lot of success with the jab. And she, for me, showed that she could outgrapple Shevchenko if she really needed to. Shevchenko hasn't looked good in the last few fights, and she struggled against Santos and nearly lost. I think she's on the decline. I think Grasso takes it again. I mean, there's no doubt that Grasso is the the better grappler by far. Uh, you know, Shevchenko is a out and out kickboxer. Speaking frankly, you know, if if uh, another one that could be. Um, based on range that we talked about last week and distance management. If it stays on the feet, I, I, I wouldn't disagree with you. Grasso did a, a, a better job than we thought she would do in the first fight with a jab and a, a stand-up fighting. But if it, if, she, if Shevchenko can keep it on the feet uh, and get her kicks going in particular, she has some absolutely savage body kicks. And if she starts to land a couple of those and a couple to the leg, I think that will have a big impact. So... Um, seems to be one that we'll, we'll disagree on and we'll, we'll, we'll come back to next week on the on the victor. But I'm going Shevchenko, KO fourth round. That's too specific. I'm just going to go Grasso because he's an underdog. Um, the only other fight worth... Stop, what was it you said last week? What, what, what was the little quote? Stop sitting on the fence and getting fucking splinters in your ass and give us a fucking prediction. Mr. Fucking She's Gonna Sub Her. So come uh... on. I think it is going to be Grasso by unanimous decision. Okay, I think fair enough. Only uh, one fight really worth of note, isn't there? I think, unless there's any others you want to mention, uh, Holland versus um, Jack Madalena. Very much so. So, co-main, Kevin Holland, uh, good fight level-wise in terms of Kevin Holland is 13-ranked. Uh, in the welterweight, 25 and 9. Uh, Jack is 14th ranked, 15 and 2, but with a five-fight win streak and looks a real prospect. Um, Holland is one of those guys we talked about before, his durability uh, in fighting uh, Stephen Thompson. Uh, he's not the cleverest of fighters because he said to uh, Thompson, come on, fuck it, let's just stand and bang against a 57 and 0 kickboxer that was not a very clever decision and actually he has an outstanding ground game and is a very high level black belt uh at holland so sometimes i think holland can be um the master of his own demise by bit trying to be too hard um i mean he took an absolute beat in in that uh thompson fight and his durability he came out with a lot of credit in my eyes Jack is a bit of a knockout artist. He, he does have a tendency to go to decisions uh, as well as being quite heavy uh, on, on the uh, on, on the knockouts, but he's got quite a lot of decisions on his record. Uh, for me, it, it's, it's how Kevin Holland 
the strategy Kevin Holland adopts here is his fight to potentially lose, I would say, if he takes the sensible option and uses his far superior grappling skills, takes him down, starts to use his jitsu, look to try and uh, sub him, lay and prey on him, take him down, steal the rounds. I could see a unanimous decision for Kevin Holland. If he takes a similar approach that we've, that we've seen before, where he can be a little bit reckless and maybe want to put on fight of the night and just stand and bang, I could see him getting knocked out. I'll be honest, I've got very little interest in it. Uh, I am going to say it goes the distance, and that's my prediction. I'm not going to say anyone's going to take it, because I just have very little interest in this fight. As with these types of cards and these fight night cards, there's only really one top fight. I did notice that Raul Rosas Jr. is on the undercard, isn't he? Uh, he is indeed. Obviously, one. after his first professional loss, uh, he, he's he's coming back. So it'll be interesting to see uh, the adjustments he's made and how he bounces back from that loss, given uh, you know how the hype that behind him and I want to be the youngest UFC champion ever, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. It was all spouting out, and he was the greatest prospect ever. We'll see how he gets on. Um, no other really fights I want to discuss on the card, really. Any other thing for this weekend? Uh, Friday night, good one for people if they're not up to much. Uh, I know we sometimes get a bit of stick of being a bit UF heavy, uh, UFC heavy on our MMA sections, but it is 1FC Friday Fight Nights 33 tomorrow. Um, all I would say on this one, it's on YouTube, so free to watch for anybody on 1FC's YouTube but Sanchai is fighting. Sanchai is one of the greatest Muay Thai fighters ever. And um, I've never seen a guy by BJ Penn fight people at such a weight differential and win. He has fought some guys like 40, 50, 60 pounds heavier and kicked the fuck out of them. This guy is next level. He is getting on a bit. But if you want to watch some of the best kickboxing you will ever see tune in for Sanchez fight absolutely amazing um not sure of the timing it's in singapore i think so i'm feeling it's on in the evening so it's a watchable time but i do know it is on one fc's uh youtube channel for anyone who wants to tune in and i would highly recommend um if you like your muay thai i think the whole card usually at one fc do mixed cards i had a look at the card the majority are muay thai fights so it is um if you're not really into muay thai you're probably not going to get much out of this one uh but as i say tune in for sanchai his fights are always uh a ding dong the only other thing to mention and funny because you've just said that we spend most of our time talking about ufc and we don't really divulge or uh, jump into any other mma uh just going back on ufc the Ultimate Fight Championship and the World Wrestling Entertainment merger is official. Uh, so earlier this year, it was revealed that the UFC and the WWE was joined forces to create a new company worth about £17.3 billion. And on Tuesday, just gone, TKO Group Holdings began trading on the New York Stock Exchange. So they will be together known as TKO. Um, I cannot wait personally to see John Cena get into that ring get into the octagon and kick the fuck out of Sean Strickland. He's going to FU him, put him in STFU, make him tap out, and the doctor of thugonomics is becoming is going to be the champion of the world. Good luck with that. Um, funnily enough, you, you said that to me and I laughed in your face like, yeah, that's not going to happen. 
one thing I did see, which I thought was far more realistic, uh, I believe was a quote from uh, Triple H, which actually said he Again. Uh, he saw this as a good move for UFC fighters that maybe wanted to prolong their careers, that when they had done fighting and or in the UFC, that is, and maybe were, were sick of MMA and getting smashed in the face, if they wanted to prolong their careers, this then gave them the option to maybe move into uh, WWE where it's not quite as brutal and some of their skills can be utilised. He made no reference whatsoever to people going back the other way. So of I course, because would... it's it's completely. You look at CM Punk is a prime example of how that doesn't exactly. work out. Exactly. Brock Lesnar is the only exception, and that's because he's a freak of nature. <laughs> I'm just going to say the problem that you've got with people moving from UFC to WWE is people like Conor McGregor would be fine. For example, they have the star power, they have the talk, they have the chat have the banter etc etc and they get crowds behind them could you imagine Usman going to the UFC uh, going from the UFC to the WWE because I couldn't because he's got no personality Adesanya would work Strickland see, see, I, work. I, I disagree with you with, with, with Usman because he's a fucking fantastic wrestler part of, you know he, he, he can't he, just be a wrestler is the point I mean it's not physicality it's it's a script but you've got to be able to pull a crowd and you've got to be able to move a crowd. So you could be the best wrestler ever, but if no one's interested in listening to what you say because you can't hype up a promo, what's the point? But I'm not into this fake bullshit wrestling like you, but okay, taking your analogy there that you need a bit of personality, let's look at uh, Sean O'Malley. How on earth at £135 do you get him a fight in the UFC? I mean, most of the women in the UF, in WWE weigh twice as much as him, don't they? There's no route. There's... There's no you, fucking... The disrespect you're showing to Rey Mysterio right now is disgusting. He is he... the biggest little man, and he, he was a world champion a number of times. He and how much does he weigh? Four pounds. I don't know. He's only tiny. Look, look it up. Look it up. No. Tell, look, while we're talking, look it up. I bet you he weighs, even if he's a tiny... I know that he's the guy that I think doesn't he wear masks. You must have seen, yeah, you must have seen Rey Mysterio. And the, I know he does loads of fancy shit off ropes and shit like that. Six or nine. Uh, he wears. He probably how, weighs one hundred ninety. Sean Sean O'Malley weighs one hundred thirty-five pounds. He is billed at one hundred seventy-five pounds. Israel so Mysterio, forty pound difference there alone, and that's the guy, that's the smallest guy you can give me. There's no way someone Connor could get away with it just because of his size at the moment. Anyone below welterweight is not going to be able to do that because of the pure size differential. I don't think they have a they don't have a small division, do they? In the WWE, they're all fucking you don't need monsters. it because it's fake. <laughs> it's just to summarise it. You've seen the Big Show. You think anyone in the real life could pick up the Big Show or like um, Great Carly if he's still about things like that? It's fake. It's not real. They don't have to actually pick them up and hold them and struggle and stuff like that. It'd be no, fine. Don't see it. Don't see it happening. But the big boys, I could see. You know, some of the bigger boys with personality. John Jones. John Jones. You could say. <laughs> someone like that, you could see. But some of the, the, the lighter boys, someone like Sugar Sean, not a chance, mate. Not a chance. But Well, I um, will remember that when he becomes the universal WWE heavyweight champion of the world. And you'll be eating your words. International breaks over. Woo! The longest weeks of the year whenever we lose domestic football because 
I can only watch Gareth Southgate's team for so long without wanting to rip my eyeballs out. Um, they drew against Ukraine. They beat Scotland. It's pretty much it. Didn't even watch either game, if I'm honest. Can't be fucked. Even though these are genuine qualifiers, couldn't be fucked. A uh, couple of bits for me, if we just because I feel like I had to more than anything. Um, <clears throat> from the the stats I saw, I thought the Ukraine game finally looked like the breakthrough of James Madison. I thought that he finally looked like um, the first time I've seen him look like perhaps an international calibre player. Obviously, he's been doing pretty well for Tottenham this season under Ange, but I thought from the highlights I saw, he uh, played well and sort of announced himself on that stage. Uh, And then there's also the stat you can't overlook of uh, Carl Walker scoring on his 77th cap which is the longest period ever for an England international to score their first goal. Yeah, I mean, that was the only qualifier that we had. Uh, the Ukraine game was a qualifier. The Scotland game was... I'm trying to remember what the anniversary was. I think it's like the 150th anniversary of Scotland. It was like a heritage friendly. I think it but... was when it, I think the 150th of the first time they played or something like that. Yeah, and then it was something like... Is it 100th? anniversary of the first time England played. I can't remember. Either way, Scotland looked really poor and this is a Scotland team that everyone's been hyping up because I think they're top of their Euro qualifying group. Um, I'll be honest, I watched them both. I thought England looked fairly, for want of a better word, boring against Ukraine. Uh, uh, It's one of those where you're watching it and you're like, I'm only watching this because I'm English, to be quite honest. And Scotland's always fun because... The crowd gets behind everyone, you know, especially at Hampden Park. It was very much uh, an uh, anti-England crowd. England silenced the crowd very quickly. That was very fun to watch. Your boy Robertson is garbage. He played a fantastic assist for Bellingham, who looked outstanding, as he has been doing all season. He is only going to get better. There's already been calls of him potentially winning a Bell and Door, which... I'll be honest, isn't too far from the realms of possibility if he continues his ascent as it is. It's very hypothetical at this point in time. He is still only a young kid, and that's that's got to be remembered. He's playing fantastic for Madrid, playing fantastic for England, and I think he's our best player at the moment, other than Kane. Oh, 100%. And he will definitely win the Ballon d'Or, but not this year, and maybe not next year, but in a couple of years. Plenty 100%. of time. Yeah. Um, no doubt, um, I would say. Um, that I think that would be... A very surefire bet in the next three years, he's crowned the best player in the world. We've got to, it brings us on to talk about Harry Maguire because Harry Maguire was brought on at half time in the England Scotland game. Um, I've no idea why, I'll be honest, there didn't seem to be any particular reason. I think it was just Southgate putting on one of his boys. Harry Maguire has fallen into the same sort of pool as. Calvin Phillips is for me, although Calvin Phillips didn't have too bad of a game against Scotland. I don't think either of them should be near the England setup because they're not playing for the clubs, certainly not playing regularly. They're not playing at all. Um, and in Harry Maguire's instance, every time he has played for his club or for his international team, he's been absolutely dreadful. This summer was the one for him to move on. The West Ham move obviously brought down, but it's now getting to the point where he's getting the piss taken out of him actively by opponent fans? Well, I'm going to disagree with you here because I think they're both absolutely amazing players. I think they thoroughly deserve their place in the the English team. And if you give me any stick, 
I'm going to get my mum to come out and defend me on Twitter. <laughs> it's not a good look, is it? It absolutely <laughs> isn't. You're getting all this slack and people like, oh, you know, you can't take it. And he's like, I'm a really strong individual. Um, I have got the heart to survive this. And you're reading it and you're thinking, okay, fair enough. He's released a statement. Oh, no, it's not him that's released it. It's his mum that's released it. I mean, I'd be like, Mum, what are you doing? Fair up, Mum, start this. Get step. For a start, Mum, why have you got a Twitter account? Fucking hell, <laughs> Mum. The fuck are you doing, Mum? Why, 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 enjoy your retirement. Don't be on fucking Twitter and don't be coming out and fucking saying, don't be mean to my boy. I mean, just nonsense. Absolutely. I get, nonsense. I, I get the, the point behind it. And it, it does get to a ludicrous stage where, like you say, your opponent fans in Scotland were doing it all the way through the evening as soon as he came on. He obviously scores an own goal to make it 10 times worse. He's getting jeered. He's getting cheered. <laughs> it's absolute madness. But the problem I've got with it, as Gareth Southgate, why put him into that limelight? You know that he's not having the best time of it. He's got all this stick from you know morons on social media. He's going to continue to get it. You can't stop that because that's not how social media works and it hasn't worked like that for a number of years so just don't put him on for well i can only guess minutes. southgate's mindset was actually give him a chance against a team that will play him woeful that he might look okay and it might build his confidence and it completely backfired so that, that yeah. would be the only that would be the only logical explanation for Gate thinking fucking hell he, we can even put Maguire in and he might look all right against scotland here that can be surely the only uh, justification for for why he did it, but yeah, totally agree with you. Just the the mum thing just rubs it in even worse and just makes it ridiculous. Welcome to Wrexham season two has come out this week, so it was uh, released on Wednesday. Just gone. Uh, obviously, a lot of talk about who owns them uh, and the Hollywood duo have essentially splashed the cash since they took over the. Uh, is it North Wales that Wrexham's from? I think we're about. No, nah, it's like I think it's. East Wales, it's not a million miles off the border of England. Uh, it's quite actually very close to the border of England. Anyway, um, but it's Learn been well geography, bitch. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't even do geography at fucking school. I don't know where it is. I'm going to, while we're just talking about this, I'm just going to go on uh, Google Maps. But the, the point would be, um, since taking over, everyone is well aware of the fact that they have been splashing the cash. They've brought in a number of high-profile sign-ins, able to tempt some Who then retire after five games into the season <laughs> yeah, like Ben Foster. That was ridiculous as well for the, the, the Ben Foster point. But obviously, they've made a number of sign-ins. I'm just looking through transfer market for the season, um, or this season just starting. Stephen Fletcher, if you remember him, 36-year-old striker that brought him in. Uh, James McLean, they brought him in from Wigan. They paid 290 thousand uh, euros for him which is former premier league player exactly and it's it's good signing for them uh i think they brought george evans in from millwall who has been Didn't around they get for a as a backup seeing as um i mean i thought it was really harsh of uh foster because he fucking completely stitched him up five games in left him without a keeper i think what i read they got a young keeper on loan from arsenal to replace him i think didn't they uh arthur akon Akonkwo, I think his name is, um, young Nigerian Englishman, but he as Nigerian Englishman. He's dual nationality. Nigerian English. What, what would you call a dual nationality then? I would say an Englishman that qualifies for Nigeria as well. I would, <laughs> and, and I've just looked as well, and it is North Wales. Is Wrexham? It literally couldn't be further north. 
there's Chester just slightly above it. So stick that up your ass. Um, on a separate note, <laughs> I'm not lying. I ain't changed the map. On a separate note, watch Welcome to Wrexham. It's a very good documentary. It's on Disney Plus. Uh, season one was very good. Obviously, ended in heartbreak for them. This time, it's got a significantly happier story. Um, it, like I say, I think it came on Wednesday. It was well detailed and documented in the first episode, and without spoiling it for you, of course, that essentially they both came out and said that, and quote unquote, they were fucked financially if they didn't win the league because of the the signings that they'd made, and they had to win it. Now, obviously, again, spoilers. Phil Parkinson took them to the National League title in dramatic fashion. Uh, there was season-long battle with Notts County to secure the only promotion spot or the only automatic promotion spot in the league. Very good league um, challenge all the way through. It was always entertaining to watch it. Uh, as far as I'm aware, I don't think they're doing too well this season in League Two, but it is only the start, and obviously it could significantly change then. I don't think we'll get a third season if they get relegated, personally. But, yeah, definitely watch it. It's one of these that you've got to add to the um, Sunderland Till I Die and all that sort of stuff that I don't think you've watched as of yet. As I say, I watch football matches, not shit about football usually. So I haven't watched a single one of these ones. Even if there was, I, I watched one episode of the one about Liverpool when Brendan Rodgers was in and was so disgusted and embarrassed by how Rodgers came across as our manager that I was like, no, nah, I don't want to watch it. So uh, you'll take some serious convincing for me to ever watch any of that nonsense. You'll watch At Home with the Furies, but you won't watch Welcome to Wrexham. Who, let's, let's be clear, I said about it, you slagged me off, what a load of shit, I don't want to watch that, comes in this week. Oh, the weekend I watched at Home with the Furies. And it was shit. I had to watch it because I can't criticise you for it unless I've seen it, and then I can criticise you for it. I didn't um, say it was good. I just said I watched it. <laughs> well, I said it gave you it gave you an insight into what a lunatic Fury is. I didn't say it was the fucking best TV programme ever and you got to watch it because it's so great, did I? I also just want to correct myself because if there is any Wrexham fans um, listening to this, they've actually turned it around from what I saw. They didn't start too well, but they have now won three, drawn three and, and lost just one. So, um, yeah, eat, eat that for myself. But more importantly, as I said, international break's done. If you're not going to watch that this weekend, uh, even though you should do, it's obviously only one episode because that's how Disney Plus do it, then you can watch some Premier League because we finally got that coming back. Yes, and about fucking time the return of proper football. So nice early kickoff for Liverpool, twelve thirty uh, on Saturday. So I'll be watching that against Wolves. Hopefully, uh, maintaining the good start to the season. Um, believe that it would allow us to go top, even if it's for a few hours if we win. Um, so happy with the way that we've been. Uh, quick point on that. Very impressed with Gravenback and his decision. I don't know if you saw this, that he rejected his call up to uh, Holland to stay uh, at Liverpool and work with the team and integrate in and learn Klopp's methods. So that's nothing but a good sign for me and a good omen that someone is prepared to do that. I thought that was very, um, I was impressed with that, like that. It's a good, uh, good sign. And uh, a good move as well on his part, probably to get the fans um, on his side if they weren't. Not that I think anyone is particularly against him, but um, quick mention of that. I thought that, as I say, looking forward to that match because Wolves uh, obviously um, have not started well and we hopefully should do a number on them. Um, Not sure who you boys have got this week. Who do you come back with? Uh, Millwall away. So that'll be a right laugh. That is always... uh... 
non-controversial. And... Two of the nicest set of fans <laughs> that you'll meet. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we, I think it was last season or it's season before. I can't, they were somewhat really controversial. It might have been when we were last in championship, but they were essentially booing all their black players who were taking the knee. And I was just like, "What? Well, this is one of the scummiest clubs ever. Never a fan of Millwall. I'm a Leeds fan, so I can't ever say anything nice about Millwall. Um, You've got a few players that were there, though, weren't they? Were they was it not uh, Shackleton and Cresswell? Were they not both on loan? Correct, there yeah. Season? They both went on loan. Cresswell had a shaky start, but then grew into it, and then he fractured his eye socket, and then Shackleton, as far as I read, was um, nothing too overly shocking about it. It wasn't one of those that they were desperate to keep. I think it was one of those where if he'd have stayed, they'd have been happy. The fact that he came back to us wasn't a massive miss for them. But I'll be honest, he's been pretty much outstanding this season. He's been one of the standout players other than Ampadu. Uh, he's been playing just about everywhere that he possibly can. I think he's played left-back, centre-mid, right-back, right-wing. I told you, I, the, the, the couple of games I watched for you, I was really impressed. I thought it was really good. Particularly, I think the game I saw, he played on the wing. I know he's been moved around yeah. as a bit of a utility player. I was really quite impressed by him. I know you, you, you weren't uh, his biggest fan, I think. And you're sort of saying that, you know, he's... Maybe not quite of the the quality that you'd need to go up, but um, I liked him. I thought he was, uh, you know, a pretty decent player um, in, in the, the last game I watched um, of you. So, um, I mean, obviously you probably haven't, correct me if I'm wrong here, but you haven't lost a lot of players to the international break. Um, Ron, Rodon, uh, obviously for Wales and Ampadu, uh, bar that, probably not many else, any, anyone else really. Forgetting the best striker in the, uh, sorry, the best winger in the league. Um, no, Big Willie, Big Willie got not, called up, did he? Him as well, uh, but he's not the best winger in the league. The league. It is the one and only Daniel James who is the best winger ah. in the league. Uh, he was also called. To, he had a good game for Wales and uh, the recent out. And Glenn Kamara got called up. I forgot that he was um, finished. Finish. Yeah, he's, yeah. He's not not a guy that you would look at and. Um, think was Finnish from his name or from his looks, but a uh, very good player. So, but that again, it'd be to, interesting to, be fair, to see. He uh, is only because, 27. I, I don't think he's Finnish. Um, uh, 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 <laughs> you, you've got some shit jokes. Fucking hell. Um, but it'd be interesting to see. I mean, obviously that's a couple of weeks Fark has had with the majority of the team to again, work on his, on his tactics, implement his training ground, get the fitness levels because we know he's, he's a man that likes fit players in that, that Bielsa style. Then he likes some fit drills and trains him pretty hard, likes him to play uh, aggressive football uh, and a two week gap like that can actually, I think make a great deal of difference when you've got a new team. So I'll be uh, an interested spectator at the weekend as to how you get on uh, and see if his methods over those two weeks have uh, filtered through a bit more and you started to see the team play more in the fashion that he is wanting them to. I hope so. And I feel like for Leeds, this is going to be the best indicator of the season to see what will happen for the rest of the season because he's had all this time, all this turbulent time of players wanting to leave on loan, squads not being finalised. It was very, very late in the window that we've sorted things out. We've obviously got uh, Jed Nantney who's coming in as well. I'd be su- I wouldn't be surprised actually if he drops Archie Gray and bangs Kamara straight in. I really want more than anything to see Jed Spence start because I feel like 
particularly after that stat you showed me that uh, Ailing was the most dribbled pass player in the championship so far. To the surprise of no one. Yeah. So we slagged him off as being a dog shit Premier League right back, let alone maybe okay in the championship, but he can't even do a job at the championship. So hopefully Jed Spence is in, but I agree with you. I'll be interested. I think this will be a good... um, it's a indicator of how far you the progress that you've made. You've had two weeks of what would be ultimately a relatively quiet and settled period. No more rumours, no more people leaving. You know, the squad is what it is, what it is now. No one else is going out uh, before January. So, um, yeah, uh, interested to see how that gets, uh, how you go against uh, Millwall on Saturday. And we're on TV as well. So we can start the oh, Saturday. Yeah. yeah, we can start Saturday by watching you and then. Sunday morning, where uh, we're against Millwall, so you can tuck into your Sunday dinner, watch us smash seven past them. It'll be a great weekend for us both, I'm sure. Two wins, I'd say. I'm going to call it one nil for you, three nil for us. One nil. One nil. I think you pinched one nil. They, they defend seven. pretty well. Mill. They defend pretty well. Millwall. They've got that horrible low block, haven't they? Yeah. I, I actually uh, they think it'll play be a deep game, one. but it'll be a cl- close game. I think. Uh, but I, I, I definitely think you'll win. I think we'll smash Wolves. Not really much for boxing this week, and I've tried quite desperately to find um, news for boxing in general, and it's all just your standard, ooh, Will Fury fight Ngannou next? He should drop the belts, which we've read for the you know 17th time. And then you've got, oh, uh, Joshua Wilder might not be happening. Who is he going to fight instead? Are we going to see the Ruiz trilogy? Are we going to see him fight some man off the street? Nobody cares, etc., etc. The only thing that I think is worth noting because you obviously love to talk about it. Dillian Dennis was in the news this week again, because he's done this, I think it's like DeZone's version of The Gloves Are Off with Logan Paul. Um, I I think this is a bit controversial, possibly. I might get cancelled by Twitter, et cetera, et cetera. But essentially, Logan Paul had come out during this Gloves Are Off, uh, or off um, set up, whatever you call it, and he had criticised him, saying that he'd turned to drink, his mates had left him, and he can understand that he's going through a turbulent time because his dad's passed away. And people say, whoa, you can't you can't talk about his dad dying. You can't say that. That is well off the charts. That is disgusting. Oh, it's but, stupid but to look. Dennis is allowed to say how much dick <laughs> your fucking fiancé's had. Like, For the last oh, two okay, months. Exactly. That's the point that we're going to raise here. And I'm going to ask you that exact question. How is it that the internet has taken complete umbrage with this be- oh, I can't say that about his dad that's too personal but while we're talking he's probably posted another 17 pictures of Paul's fiance taking cock in every all that she's got I mean the only thing I would say I haven't been paying much attention to this because you said I know you know I fucking hate this influencer boxing but it does seem that he has so I, 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 I'm, I'm talking out my ass here because I haven't really followed it but he's if he's not massively slowed down if not stopped because of the threatened lawsuit he doesn't seem to be going anywhere near as hard in the paint on her if at all the only thing I would say is I saw one clip of that gloves are off thing and it didn't look like Dylan Dennis could string together a sentence he was just like like a bumbling fool and then I saw comments underneath it that said Jake Paul had basically edited it uh, to make him just look like that, which, again, I've got no idea if that is true or not. I didn't see it. If you saw it, you might be able to give me more of a uh, 
update if that's true, if that's how he actually came across or not. But he looked, he sounded like an absolute buffoon. It was definitely edited. So it were essentially made to show that Logan Paul had said something. Oh, you always stumble over your words. And then the next thing that randomly comes out of Dennis's mouth is... The only bit I did see, which I did laugh at, is I think I saw the retort of uh, Paul say... What what what's 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 wrong, Dylan? Have you got Connor's nuts in your mouth so you can't speak? <laughs> which I thought was a good retort. Uh, the only other thing I'll say on this before we probably wrap it up because I think, as you say, we're probably done with boxing. Is I saw some footage of uh, Dennis on the pads, and I could probably take him from what I saw. <laughs> like it was it was it was embarrassing. Um, uh, and sorry, so, so there's one, one other thing that I saw that Dennis did say, which I could definitely believe, is he posted a video about um, saying how both Logan and Jake are very sly at sneaking spies into uh, the training camp of their opponents. And he sort of basically put this video up of the boxing gym and then just what appeared to be, you know, Lots of people sparring and fighting and then just some fucking dude with specs on in the corner writing notes that looked highly suspicious. And there's like a big arrow pointing to him saying is is, is his fucking spy. So, but again, not being funny. Why would you not do that? That that to me, that's not cheating. That's not, you know, you're trying to get a, an idea of what your opponent's doing. It's a bit when if you're a professional fighter and you've got lots of fights, you watch tape on them to study them to what they do. You don't need to get tenders by in if you've never had a professional fight or you've had seven professional fights lined up and you've pulled out of every one. There's no footage of you fighting. So how would you know what they look like? So in some ways, as much as it's kind of a bit of a, a dirty tactic, I'd probably do it. I mean, if it's good enough for Bielsa, it's good enough for the rest of the world, isn't it? Um, would you like to see them fight in the MMA world? Yeah, because it's over in a minute. Because he gets t- now, just to be clear, Logan will Logan Paul can wrestle. Very good wrestler was a collegiate wrestler, so grappling wise, he's no clown, and he's probably, if we're being honest, a considerably better wrestler than he is boxer. But Danis is a very, very high level jujitsu practitioner. As much as he gets shit for what he he does, he's very, very good at jujitsu. Uh, and if that happened, the moment he gets him down. And they're in a, a, a you know, jujitsu position. Like, uh, Paul, whichever fucking Jake Logan, whichever the fuck is taking him on, is going to get choked out. Well, it's interesting because at the very end of the, again, I can't remember what it's called. Oh, they shook hands, didn't they? They shook hands, didn't they? Yeah, I agree. That's, I did see that bit. Yeah, so, yeah that, 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 I would probably say that Paul beats him quite quickly in boxing and Dennis would choke him out super quick in MMA. Would be I think they should just have a street fight. No holds barred. Go outside. Put him in. Put him in new um, TKO. Both. I told you that. I said you this that before, which is why jiu-jitsu is the best uh, martial art to learn. Ninety percent of street fights end up on the floor. So if you end up on the floor, the jiu-jitsu guy you're going to give it to, unless he gets sparked out by one punch. No, You've got a, a knife. Gen- it's a it's genuine. Well, he didn't say you fucking know. We're talking about bringing weapons now. Fight. Fucking mur- trying to get to murders, but street <laughs> fights, g- genuine fact, 90% of street fights end up on the floor, which is why jiu-jitsu, if you're ever going to learn a martial art, is probably the best one to learn for general practicalities because that's where most fights end up if you're going to end up in a brawl on the street. 
fun fact here, I've won 100% of street fights that I've had. <laughs> there you go. Zero. Yeah. Well, well, you can't, you can't have a 100% say, record of zero. Well, just re- I can if it hadn't happened. Or you can just remember that you're talking to uh, the, king, the king of Exeter here. So uh, <laughs> don't, don't be sleeping on that. Don't be implicating yourself into anything. And on that note, uh, it's a good place to end it. As always, thanks very much for listening, and we'll speak to you next week.